so much for joining us this week on Spilling Chai. Um, you have one of the most interesting, I think, job titles out there. I'm sure you're asked about this all the time. But tell me more about being an expert communications coach. And, you know, tell me about this title and what your job entails. Totally. Well, I was wondering which job title you were going to pick because my mother still doesn't understand what I do. So expert communications coach came about because my job, as I describe it to my five-year-old, is to help people learn how to talk better with each other. That's the five-year-old version. That's probably a pretty good synopsis. Essentially, I went to law school intending to be a litigator and came out the other side looking at the question of other than sue each other and blow each other up, what can we do? Turns out a lot. And so my job is to help people communicate more effectively with each other. I couldn't find my own unmute button, which is <laughs> which just says it all. <laughs> it's just to shut me up. Um, well, what I love about what you do is that you are an Asian woman doing it. And I feel like, I mean, uh, just to state the obvious, just by existing, you are breaking so many stereotypes. You just shatter them just by uh, being who you are and doing what you do. Talk to me about what you, what might be obvious to us as Asian women, me as South Asian women, um, because it's such a big part of our socialization and conditioning in our culture. And yes, it's a stereotype. And yes, lots of people are breaking free. But what is the reaction when people see you? And what is your... Do you specifically have a message for other Asian women out there? Mm -hmm. I feel so seen that you called me an Asian woman because, you know, in the in the mix of things, it's like, hey, are you thinking because she's a person of color that she thinks differently? You know, this is like what the white men say to me. And I'm like, I think what you mean is that she sees things differently because she is a Black woman, much like I am an Asian woman, much like you are not Black, not white, and not woman. You, my man. Um, you know, the, the things that make my heart sing, I've, and I've worked, you know, around the world, across industries, and it's so rare for a facilitator or a leadership development expert to look like you or me. And so it is like the one Asian person in the room who comes up to me at the very end is like, it means so much to see someone like me be the one doing the teaching, the facilitating on the stage. And I think for a long time, I just didn't think about it because I very much was indoctrinated into the colorblind myth of American meritocracy before I had to deconstruct that. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to show up and do what I can. And it's not until more recently that I realized the power of what I look like actually matters, who I am. And when people start or continue to say to me, stop being so political, as you say, I'm like, I can't. You're you have made my existence political. I myself am not. I am who I am. But for me to be in these spaces, to be an Asian woman in executive leadership, to be the one teaching rather than following, there's so much acculturation, particularly as the youngest daughter of a Chinese immigrant Christian family. Right? Everything about my conditioning is make yourself small, serve other people, turn the other cheek. And 
Keep your head down. That's a big one we hear back home. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Always justifying the abuser in any situation, justifying the toxic uh, generational trauma, like all of it. Now we have so much language for it. Are you kind of grateful for that? Because I feel like, I mean, Mm. not only did our parents' generation, and I want to say our mother's generation, not have that option, but they didn't even have vocabulary. I mean, literally. Well, and that seems like part of our work which is even as I have such deference for my mother, you know, we started this conversation, I was like, my mother doesn't even know what I do. Um, Even as I have so much deference for her, what do I need to unlearn that I learned from her? Because I want to show up in a different way and I want my kids to show up in a different way. And so that's actually how my book came to be. I mean, it's titled Unlearning Silence, How to Speak Your Mind, Unleash Talent and Live More Fully. And everyone, it's forthcoming. When is it coming? Yeah, it's March twenty twenty four. Random House, congratulations! <laughs> well, I'm going to pre-order my copy. Thank the, you. The pre-order link. That's exciting. Well, and you know, from writing your book, writing a book is just like turning yourself inside out. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good description. But turning to write a book on unlearning your unlearning silence while trying to unlearn your own silence is just like a mental clusterfuck oh wow but necessary yes necessary. how i want to show up for showing women like us what could be because we have everything we need in terms of power and thoughts and ideas if we can unlearn our own silence and the people around us can stop silencing us. Yeah. Let's pull all the levers. Oh my goodness. And be able to live more fully. Yeah. Live more fully and live more powerfully. I feel like so much of that has actually been because people are scared of, like, you know, it's like Sarai Somali's book, The Power of Women's Anger. It re- rage becomes her, you know. It's, so, it's like women's, pa- women's anger is political. <laughs> women's power uh, anger is powerful so yeah and anger is good righteous yeah. anger is good it is a signal of inequity um, so that's all of the unlearning that we're doing of these yeah. things that we feel the things that we see are legitimate mm-hmm. and what do we do about them yeah it's so fascinating though um it's so great that you're there because you're so right. We're usually in these rooms if we make it at all and we're being and we're the ones being talked to. But I, I do also want to stipulate, aside from the Asian woman stereotype, that I feel like all women have internalized patriarchy in this way. I mean, white women stay silent about a lot, too. A lot of people stay silent about, as I found out when I was writing my book, uh, medical misogyny about their doctor stories. Uh, women usually keep sexual assault, you know, to themselves. So we're all products. Um, a lot of times we hear, you know, people just say to speak up, you know, I think especially in corporate America, we like steps afterwards, you know, like what to do. And that sounds really easy for someone like me, because I mean, that's all I do <laughs> is speak up. But why is that? Why does that maybe not work for everybody? As someone who has received that advice my entire life and given it, frankly, it's just limiting. And 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 I think if if we say just speak up, then the problem becomes about the individual who is or is not perceived as speaking up, versus peeling back the layers to say why is it hard for some people, conditioning, patriarchy, misogyny, sexism, racism, 
why is it hard for someone in certain contexts to speak up? And what I finally came to around the time of George Floyd is because I've learned silence. I've benefited from it, right? Everything that is proper, that is appropriate, that is professional. I've learned either by observing or by crossing the line and then dealing with the consequences. You know what your lane is and you know the box you're supposed to stay in. And we've been rewarded for it, right? You keep your job, you stay in the marriage, you stay in the friendship. You You call them out a minority or you're you're applauded. (laughs) Right? Totally. <laughs> <By white people. laughs> yes. And and our own internalized racism. Yes, yes. Yes. Oh my so, goodness. We play a big role in oppressing ourselves too. Totally. We've got to ask the question of why is it that I don't use my voice? Why is it that I might believe that I don't have a voice? Which if we spent our lifetimes catering to other people, executing on other people's visions, it's really hard to know what your own opinion is or to believe that you have worth and value separate from the role and utility that you're playing for someone else. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Well, now I can totally see why you do what you do. That was really <laughs> articulated. <laughs> I feel like I should be taking notes. Um, I love that. Yes. Uh, I can't wait for your book. My goodness. Um, so you want, you say in your website, I help you support instead of silence people. What would you say is your biggest challenge in doing that? And when corporations bring you in, do they know what they're signing up for? (laughs) They're learning. They're learning, right? (laughs) They're learning, particularly as I find my own voice and use it. I would say I, much like everybody, is on a journey. And so I'm much more clear than I was two years ago, five years ago, of what I'm going to put up with, what I'm going to call you out on, what I'm not going to call you out on. But fundamentally, I've not met an organization that doesn't want collaboration, innovation, growth, productivity, and the ways that I call them well-intentioned leaders, Mm -hmm. often by people, show up thinking, look, I've been nothing but supportive of my team. And over and over I hear from managers like, you know, I'm doing the, I, I, I invited them to the meeting. I asked them what they thought. Why wouldn't they speak up as if they, mm-hmm. i.e. subordinated identities, people who are brown, black, beige, yeah. fill in your subordinated yeah. identity are the problem. Mm-hmm. And it's actually given me a lot of compassion to realize you actually have no idea how you're silencing the very people you want and very much intend to support. You don't understand how hard it is for someone who's an immigrant to speak up and assert themselves because they also know that the minute you're unhappy with them, their visa is gone. You don't realize that when they share an opinion, you change the topic back to your own reactions rather than focusing on what they actually said. And so when you change the topic on them, you silence them, you're refocused on them. You're not aware as the Welsh intention leader who is at headquarters, who has always had the world revolve around you, what it's like to be up at 1230 in the morning breastfeeding because I'm in India and you're in the States. Mm -hmm. And and if you're asking me to do that in the middle of the night in order to show up because it's a better time zone for you, I am not at my finest. 
Right? There's just a reality of how our human bodies function, that there are better times of day, there are better communication mediums. And so how are we unintentionally silencing the very people that we claim and purport and often genuinely want to support? So it's shedding light on those dynamics to close the gap between good intentions and real impact. Um, I have found, I have found as a woman of color, um, that it really, not all white men, but it really upsets men, white men in positions of power, because they are, you know, the majority of men in power in America. And even when they're a small minority in any place, they're very vocal and still powerful, just like being white. Mm -hmm. Um, But they really get mad. Like, I'm sure you have come across like that really angry white man, that white guy who, and I love the white friends, I get so much crap for this, but it's true. who gets so angry at women like us talking back <laughs> or taking up space in, in somewhere where I guess we're not supposed to be or whatever. Like when I used to do a lot of TV, my trolls would always, you know, they'd always say stuff like that. Or like, get out of here, go back to your country. So what do you think it is? Do you think we make them feel so insecure because we make them realize how much smarter we are and better at everything? Or what is it that triggers uh, white men about uh, about women of color like us? who's, you know, speak back or has something to say back and not always in a smart ass way, but usually in a very, you know, intelligent or backed up with research way. (laughs) Completely. And I'm going to appreciate that we are on your podcast. So this is our space. So we will speak as we see fit. So thank you for creating that space. There are a lot of different reasons. One is just, have you ever met a woman of color? who is competent, who is not cleaning your house, who is not performing a service for you. You know, I'm remembering the time that I'm traveling to Guatemala for business. I'm traveling with my older white male colleague. We're both flying business class because we are both professionals. And the tr- I was treated as his companion because the only way that I could possibly have a business class ticket was sleeping my way there. So just what are our mental models of who fits the mold of who is a leader, who is a speaker, who is a podcaster, who gets to speak, who has to listen, who has to follow? Yeah. So there's, there's just breaking that mold and why all the calls of representation matters so that we start to see people in a different way and hopefully see each other for our humanity. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And it's always um, the, the stereotypes that they want you to stay in your box. And we're kind of like so over being boxed in. Um, I don't really like the box you've given me. <laughs> Why did you choose my box? <laughs> I'm not sure you'd yeah. want to swap places. Yeah. <laughs> And why do you get to decide? Yeah, it's just, it's so, I just, I find it fascinating. Like my husband gets so upset sometimes when we get like crazy emails, he's like, yeah, we have to report this to the FBI. And I'm just like, people are crazy. First of all, they don't know how to spell. (laughs) (laughs) Always, I feel like people who are prejudiced or racist, straight up just racist. I'm just like, why can't none of these guys can spell? So you have, you cannot take it seriously. So irritating for me to have typos in my insults. But um, yeah, you're so triggered. You're so triggered. Yeah. And they'll be like, yeah. Oh, God. Whatever. whatever. And and I have to say, I am married to a white man. Yeah. I am real. You know, my father-in-law to me looks like Santa Claus, white beard. Oh. They're in Minnesota. And everyone is on their own journey of racial awakening. They really are. 
racial wrestling. Yeah. And the older generation, right? Like, I feel like our parents' generation or our laws. Like, yeah. You know, my mother's still telling me, like, don't rock the boat too much. Yeah. Don't be too political. And I'm like, again, my yeah. existence is exactly. political. So yeah. I might as well say what I'm going to say. Wow. And I think our responsibility as women of color is to identify and maintain the boundaries in those relationships that serve us, that protect us, that allow healing for us, because to try to do the healing work while trying to do the educating work, while trying to do the advocacy work, while trying to do the change work, that is just too much. But what gives me hope is that there are so many of us taking turns, using our voices, saying the things, calling out the behavior such that if I need a day where I'm just wrecked because I cannot deal with more of this, I mean, fuckery is the word that comes to mind. So I'll just use it. That I can step back and do the nourishment and care that I need for myself to show up the next day, knowing that you or someone else are going to show up and call that behavior out or in. Take a stand. And hopefully over time, we're changing the landscape of what we get to do, who gets to talk, who gets heard, and just change the norms. Yeah. Because we we're to write about. Totally. About. Oh, totally. And yeah. who, who we let be our gatekeepers as well. Oh, yeah. So gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Wow. Well, you know, despite all the doom and gloom, I'm actually very, very hopeful. Like I, every time I get really like down to what stuff, I just look at my girls and I'm like, they're so badass. I have two young girls and I'm like, they wouldn't have put up with like X, Y, Z that I did. Or recently, what, what did my mom tell me? I, I really stood up for myself in this situation. And you know, in our culture, when somebody older than you, like oh, yeah. it's really like, you just have to like, kind of like respect them and take everything. And I was kind of like, no, this woman like came to my house, you know, and insulted my work in front of like my husband and kids. And so I like kicked her out of my house. I told her to get the hell out. So my mom was explaining to me, I'm 43, and my mom in Bangladesh about how rude I am <laughs> and how I just like don't even call myself Bangladeshi because I'm just so American and did it. And I was like, yeah. And but I went, but mom, she was. I was like, this is how they silenced women. I was like, for like centuries, you know, by saying yeah. it's rude or it's wrong and did that. And you know, my mom is a huge feminist, so I think at the end she like was actually quite proud. Uh, but I was like, mom, this is exactly like how they make us shut up. And what she did, like what, it, it's so funny that it becomes about my behavior instead of how unacceptable that is. Completely. <laughs> um, well, and to notice your mom's, what I'm noticing in that anecdote is the reactive versus the reflective behavior. Mm-hmm. They're also, you know, it's so deeply ingrained that you, you were rude and you can't yeah. be rude. Because that is our culture. That is a representation, not just of you, but our family and yeah. our Bangladeshi community <laughs> versus stopping, reflecting on the situation and saying, what was the wrong that was done here? And what, yeah. what are we going to choose going forward? So I'm glad it sounds like she eventually got there. Yeah. And that you are so wired and ingrained. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Not I'm, take that shit. Yeah, really. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I'm like, some things are just like bad behavior and like bad manners on how somebody else was raised it is 2023 um but yeah. it's also the concept of boundaries i feel like in asian culture in general like you know Wait, what boundaries? like exactly right we don't i mean that is a very 
revolutionary word for me when people when it entered the mainstream. I was like, oh, what is that? Is it like a border? <laughs> but what I've seen is that we don't even have it like on sidewalks. People are just like, you know, bumping into each other. I mean, not all Asians, but that's how it is in, in the Indians of continent for sure. But we don't even have it on the street. So I understand that they are just like, it blows their mind because it blew my mind. Well, and the thing that blew my mind this year was Pooja Lakshman's book on real self-care. And she has this passage on boundaries that said, boundaries are not co-created. And I was like, wait, they're not? They're not? My mom tells me what they are. I have to write that down. That is so bad. (gasps) My first tattoo will be, wow, that is so You decide them based on what serves you and you inform other people. That is so true. Oh, and how man. but how revolutionary of an yeah. idea. I think that just uh, like huge epiphany on yeah. Zoom video. Wow, I love that. What is the name of the book? Real self-care. Real self-care. I think it's like no cleanses, crystals, or bubble baths involved. It's fantastic. Uh, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like yeah. uh, sounds familiar. Oh my god. Okay, awesome. Life changing. Life changing up until the mind. I got you. I got you. Um, okay, so my last question to you is you do so much work really like you just did to me uh, to mm-hmm. see people, make people help them see more clearly, understand things more clearly. Uh, what inspires you to do the work that you do? You know, I blew out the candles on my fifth birthday cake and I, I'm not supposed to tell you this because then the wish doesn't come true. <laughs> so we'll do it a, you know, whatever caveat. But the wish was world peace. And this was like before I knew about Miss America pageants or whatever social conscious. I, I want to believe in the goodness of human beings mm-hmm. and that we can change. And I've seen that enough in myself, mm-hmm. in my family. Right. When I got off the conveyor belt of big law and went down this path of leadership development and conflict management coaching, my parents were like, what is this? You're throwing away your whole future. You know, you're taking your great rebellion. What got into you? I'm like translating from the Chinese proverbs that were yelled at me um, in my head as I talk to you. And then they came around Mm -hmm. and saw the power of communication and the power of talking about our emotions, you know, and if my Chinese immigrant parents can do that in my own family unit over time, and I've seen it with clients too, but change is possible. Mm -hmm. And so what keeps me going is thinking, all right, how can we equip ourselves? How can we help people who have been silenced feel seen, known, and heard, right? It's not that we're ridiculous. It's not that we are overly sensitive. These things are real. And as you talked about, do we have language Mm -hmm. for what is happening? Oh, I've been silenced. That's a thing. What do I do about it? What can the people around me do about it so it doesn't happen again? So really holding on to the hope that what was from the past doesn't have to define our present or our future. And that keeps me going. I absolutely love it. What a perfect place to end the podcast. Thank you so much for spilling the tea with us this this week. And wait, really quick, your book is forthcoming from Penguin Random House in March 2024? March 
March 2024. Oh, wow. You are knee, you're just head deep in, um, in all of it, huh? Any, any advice? <laughs> oh, it's really worth it. Okay. <laughs> Every time I see my book on the wall, I, I have to go and like hold it. Like I, I hold it to my heart. Okay. <laughs> So that's okay. all I can say is that it's funny because I was talking, I'm like kind of, you know, really supporting one of my other friends through her book writing and it's going into mm-hmm. stuff for her. And yeah. we were just going back and forth the other day. And then I was like, I can't believe we're just like, it's so hard to write a book. It's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> like, yeah, that's why everyone doesn't do it. It really is. It's hard. <laughs> and it's not just the writing of the book. It's the promoting of the yeah, book. It's yeah. the receiving all the criticism of it because not everyone's going to oh, get it. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. It's a marathon. Those are good read um, comments are really oh. they're brutal. <laughs> But it's okay, we're used to it. We we haven't bashed left and right by white men. We were we're all <laughs> just because we're used to it doesn't mean we have to take it. That's true. That is true. But you know what? Putting your book out there is really just like that. Oh my god. I've had to learn to do that. You know, just like you don't have to read every comment. That's another yes. everyone's opinion doesn't matter. They have a right to have it, but you don't have uh-huh. to absorb it. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's another way of saying it. Elaine, thank you so much for your time. I'm so thank excited. We got to do this. This was such a treat. Thank you for all the wisdom and my uh, mid-interview epiphany that does not usually happen. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the title. Thank you so much. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.